one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi everyone, this is Sam. A quick heads up before we start the podcast this week, and a reminder that my new book, Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without All the Bollocks, is published on February 9th. You can search my name on Amazon, Waterstones, Bookshop.org or wherever else you get your books. It will be available in hardback, in Kindle edition and in audiobook. And all your support is, as ever, highly appreciated. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the football manager Martin O'Neill. Martin was born and raised in Northern Ireland and then found huge success as a footballer when he moved to England and joined Nottingham Forest where he won two European Cups under Brian Clough. He later captained his national team and played alongside the likes of George Best. As a manager, he's enjoyed success pretty much everywhere he's gone with trophies at Leicester City and Celtic and consistent top six finishes at Aston Villa. He's always been one of the smartest and funniest people in the game, so I was delighted that he agreed to come on the show and talk to me about the mental health aspects of football management. The pressure and scrutiny people in his job have to suffer is unreal. So how has he always managed to keep a smile on his face? He writes a bit about all that in his brilliant new autobiography, On Days Like These, and I couldn't wait to ask him more. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Martin O'Neill, welcome to The Reset. Hello there, Sam. Are you okay? I'm great, thanks. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Um, I've always wanted to invite a football manager onto this show. I'm delighted that you're the first. Um, I've been really enjoying reading your fantastic book, um, that's just come out recently, uh, in which you're very honest about all your experiences in football. What I really want to ask you is, is you know, if, is it, as it seems to me, football management, the most stressful, mentally damaging job on the planet? <laughs> it, could, it can very well be that. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that you have some sort of um, a viewpoint about going into it and feeling yes, you've got you've got to win football matches. But I don't un- until you're actually in it and you're and you're 
you're dealing with everything that's thrown at you, then I uh, I start to realize then that whatever whatever the football clubs are paying you is probably not enough because <laughs> you're 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 having to accept just about everything that's going. And the number one thing is of course results. And um, and you are you take the credit if the results are going well, and that's great, and that's a lovely part of management. And of course, you take the um, the you take the flag for results that are going badly. It's never the player's fault. You know, it's not been that there for quite some considerable time. Been a really a real sort of change in the in in that, and I've noticed that throughout my fifty years in the game. In the big, big change, because I'm not saying for one minute, Sam, that managers did not get sacked in my day. They did, but they seemed to get a longer period of time, and they the and and players actually had uh, took some sort of responsibility for some poor results, and obviously credit for for other results. I felt that certainly, certainly during my earlier days. Anyway, again, I get back and I emphasize that managers were still getting sacked, of course. But overall, I felt as if they were getting a longer time added. Of course, lots of things have changed. Ferocious money now in the game, and that dictates a great deal. But getting back to your point about uh, about management, yeah, I think that uh, I think that you would have to uh, you, you you could start off with a sound mind. Let me put it this way, and you could end up with a very unsound mind by the time that you've done about two or three years in it. You know. And and did you find that in the in your in your in the various management roles you've had, did did some of them take their toll mentally? Did you find yourself at the end of your tenure sort of like mentally exhausted and and ready to to get out of it? No, not no, not necessarily. I I I I never felt as if at one minute. Listen, I I've I've had enough. I felt that um, that uh, you know let's let let's take a season by uh, season by season. Mm. So. Uh, you start. You start off probably uh, uh, towards the end of the end of June time, and uh, you are back at pre-season when most people, most families are actually starting to take holidays then. And uh, but you, you, uh, th- there's plenty of compensation. You know, you're supposed to be getting well paid for the job. You're doing doing fine, and lots of people would still want to be in your position. I suppose at least perhaps financially. Anyway, you're into the early part of the season. You've done your pre-season. You've done your preparation. You're hoping you're hoping for a good season. High hopes, high expectations. Every every single manager has them at every club, and I don't care what league they're in and what position they finished the previous year. Of course, reality sets in relatively quickly, and then you find yourself in a position that you probably really thought that the club might be at a certain stage. If you're progressing, you've been able to sign a couple of players. That's fine. So the season goes on. By the end of the season, Sam, you really are you are exhausted. There's no question about it. Managers are exhausted. I think you can see it in people's faces. Unless you're maybe someone like um, that. Uh, I remember the old great great managers. He was Ron Atkinson. Ron used to have a permanent tan, and he used to feel it. <laughs> You used to feel as if he had um, that he had gone on holiday, you know, uh, about two weeks of every four. Uh, he was probably just on the, 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 the sun lamp. Yeah. But overall, I used to have a look at my own face about the end of May time, and I thought, my word, honestly, that's that's a that's a worn face, but that's <laughs> okay. But I'd never felt that uh, unless you've been put under severe pressure by by the club and the supporters, and and you've had a poor season. No, I think you felt as if I get a couple of weeks away, I get a holiday, and I'll start again. It's probably accumulation of a number of years, 
uh, you start to think, gosh, I mean, do I really want this? But overall, no, I never, I, ne- I, I actually, remarkably, I enjoyed management. I really did enjoy it. And um, and I did enjoy the ups and downs. And there were plenty of downs, of course. Yeah. I, I, maybe I should rephrase that. You don't enjoy you don't enjoy the downs. Of course, you don't enjoy the downs, but you take it as part of the as part of the the whole management structure. You are with the best will in the world. You're going to get some really lousy results that will put you under pressure. The very very best have had it. Do you have to learn how to contain yourself with the highs as well? You know, i.e., don't let the lows get you too low. Don't let the highs get you too highs. I mean, you you know, you've had some big highs, and and that that can have have a take its toll in different ways, can't it? You can get hmm. a bit carried away. This might be to do with my uh, my Catholic upbringing, a way back where you feel as if that. <clears throat> Please do not celebrate success because disaster is just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So I, I think I've, I've carried that through my youth and probably into, into my management days. So you're okay <laughs> with that. The other thing, though, that must have changed a huge amount you, <laughs> uh, over your career is the level of scrutiny. Um, and that often is what strikes me as what how what I would imagine the toughest thing. <laughs> You know, in an age where, and when you first started in management, this wouldn't have been the case. You would have had the newspapers and the odd radio show, <laughs> but the relentless twenty four seven, really quite brutal coverage and opinions it, that are expressed across social media, rolling TV news, rolling radio reporting, it must be so difficult to switch <laughs> off from that. Did, did that ever get to you? I think that uh, I, I think you make a very very good point here. Way back in the days when I was a player, let's say if I was tr- trying to step into a manager's shoes, let's say the great Brian Clough, uh, and I, I quote him because of the number of years I spent with him, uh, most, of the, most of the time times were good. Uh, but it would be interesting to see how he would deal with, you know, with poor, poor days now, considering that um, that the sort of media attention, you mentioned newspapers. Mm. Newspapers, we used to look forward as players to the newspapers the next day, particularly if you've played well in a game. Yeah. And, <clears throat> but now, as you say, it's constant scrutiny. The newspapers are almost out of date. By the time tomorrow morning comes, you know, everybody's had their say about you. And I think in terms of being a manager, particularly, you... Uh, everything that you do in a defeat is analysed, scrutinised, pulled apart, and you know yourself that a lot of the things that have been said are just, they're just way off the mark, but you just have to run with it. You really have to run with it. You can't you can't have a one-man crusade saying, excuse me, sorry, I mean, in terms of substitutions, I didn't get those wrong. They just, it, it didn't, uh, it wasn't necessarily going to change the course of a game or, excuse me, did you not think that one of the substitutes did well? I'm only quoting yeah, that as an yeah. example. But really, in essence, again, I, I totally agree with your point. The scrutiny is severe. And it's not just the scrutiny on the football field. It's then, it's because you've got a couple of decisions wrong and you've lost the game, suddenly your whole your whole character is uh, is under scrutiny. And that's yeah. what you do. And it's not just it's not just what you're doing on a football field. It's your life then that's taken into consideration. And that you are, of course, if you've lost two consecutive games, you're a complete failure. You're not just a complete failure in management. You're a complete failure in life. You as a man, yeah. As a man, you haven't dealt with your children properly, obviously, and uh, 
and you haven't schooled them properly, you haven't taught them any manners, and anything you want goes into the into the melting pot and just comes out skewed. So, and, uh, and have you, do you, I mean, are you, is this based on exact examples where you felt that you were, you came under, uh, do you have I, memories I, no. of coming under very personal attack? I think, I, I think it's, uh, I honestly think it's the personal attacks. You just have to accept you're in this game. You're in a game that's, uh, that 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 um, has never been devoid of criticism, anyway. In that in that sense, so mm. you just get you get on with it. But I think that the changes that have taken place and the points that you make, I think that uh, a manager way back in the late seventies, early eighties, perhaps even into the into the nineties, would have accepted the fact that yes, I've lost six games in the trot. I'm I'm I'm. Um, I'm actually not doing very, very well here. I'm not necessarily a bad manager. I'm not necessarily a bad person, but I'm actually, uh, I'm actually not doing well, and I accept the consequences. That's fine. But here, there just seems to be a, a great deal more attached to. It. I think most managers would accept the fact about results. It is actually the sort of a personal attacks that seem to be added on now. And as you mentioned. I don't think that uh, I don't think anybody's in control of social media these days, and therefore it is. It's it's unfortunately it's it's part of the job now. I was surprised that you're on Twitter. I only say that because a lot of football people, I think, stay away from it because football seems to elicit so many kind of wild and uh, and sometimes aggressive opinions. I, I think that 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 is absolutely right. Uh, yes, I think that. Um, uh, I, I will. I, you know what? There was part of me curious about it. That, that right. was, and that that curiosity will eventually uh, probably kill me, kill me. <laughs> hopefully, metaphorically, <laughs> or sorry, uh, yeah, metaphorically <laughs> yeah. rather than literally. But uh, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look. Of course, you, you, you open yourself up to an awful lot of criticism, and as you say, for every one half decent message that you might receive. You know, there's probably about uh, two million that go the, the other direction. Uh, do, do fans of previous clubs hold <laughs> uh, hold grudges over small and specific things years later? Oh, of course, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. And of course, you as as a as a player as a manager are, are totally to blame because they've got a chance now of having a go at you. So you'll still get like a, a Villa fan or a Sunderland fan or a Leicester fan or a Celtic fan bringing things up sometimes when you log on to I, Twitter. You know, again, I, I genuinely do not mind people that who might have a, you know, actually are making um, a relatively cogent and and a, a proper point. Mm. I mean, for, you know, so I, I genuinely don't mind that. I, I might have a disagreement with them, but I can see their viewpoint. I think, and if it's, and if they've argued it reasonably well, I I do not have a problem with that there. I genuinely don't. Uh, and if someone thinks that, for instance, you know, um, I do say in the book um, that, um, you know, my leaving of uh, of Aston Villa, I could have dealt with that much, much better, you know, I, you know and uh, and I realised that. And a lot of Villa fans have actually accepted my explanation for it. Not that don't necessarily always agree with it, but have accepted mm. it. And all the ones that uh, you will never convince, you know. Mm. Uh, I do think listening to the way that y- you speak about the way in which you just accept the bad things that come along with management, I, you know, I think that you and presumably other people who've had long careers in, in your industry must be cut from quite a particular cloth. 
there's a lot of blokes who I speak to in all sorts of different walks of life and high profile ones like yours, um, you know, the entertainment industry, who failure and criticism can get to and really knock them backwards and 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 you know really get under their skin and prevent mm-hmm. them being them their best selves for a while. Listening to you talk and also looking at your record in your career something inside you didn't allow that to happen. Do you have any idea what that was? No, Sam, again, I'm delighted you you bring up this point because that was not always the case with me at all. Right. I I do get it with actors, uh, theatre actors and and film actors who will read a number of uh, reviews and always pick out the one that 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 uh, that gives them a, a, a bit of stick. You know, mm. they might have five, perhaps really really decent reviews, and it's the one stuck down in the corner, which is the one that the that they mull over for ages and ages and ages. Not everybody loves them. They find out. Well, when I was at Leicester City, for instance, I got um, I started off at Leicester City. I mean, I was at Nottingham Forest for a while, so Leicester and Forest, so, you know, I can't turn around and say bitter enemies in the mm. in. In other particular um, other particular spheres, but in certainly, I mean, there was rivalry there, and so I arrived as Leicester City manager and couldn't win a game early on to save my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, things got a bit nasty for a while, and um, and lots of letters coming in saying I'm ruining the, the, the their club, you know, and uh, lots of people on uh, on local radio and stuff like this. But it was the letters that were coming in, and I was obviously seeing them. And I had a, I had a, a probably an inner determination to try and turn things around. Luckily, I, I was able to do that. But I did store up the letters, and then I, I got in touch with these people afterwards. So I felt as if that uh, uh, that. Uh, <laughs> well, after you turned things around, you after I, you turned things around, you went back to these people and sent critical letters. I did. I know. Yes, yes. You know, it's uh, it's the it's it's the the work of a four year old to tell you. <laughs> you know, so yeah, but I felt that at the time. So then, you're then, like an elephant. You never forget. And but then you learn to grow up a little bit. You know, at some stage mm. or another. So your 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 idea that uh, I allow or seemingly allow you things to wash over me that wouldn't be true either. I must admit, but. You do have to, at some stage or another, you do have to let some things go. And uh, you, 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 no, I, I don't think there'll be two managers forget the sort of criticism, particularly if that criticism is, is leveled at them from from directions in which other people should know know better or should at least have an idea. For instance, you know, a, a fellow manager um, having a, a particular go at someone, you know, realizing that the difficulties that that person that might be uh, that might be having, and and knowing from his own personal experience that uh, that these things are um, are more difficult than they're making out. So I think that. I think a lot of managers can accept the criticisms from from uh, from journalists, uh, journalists, because that's 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 the nature of their job. I'm saying this. This is this is, um, and this is might not be universally held. You know, you might your next manager coming on and saying, "Oh, Neil is talking balderdash here, mm-hmm. absolute balderdash." But I, that's that's what I feel, and that's what my, my own personal thoughts would be. I think people within the within the job criticize mm. you to a really heavy degree. I think that um, I think you would feel as if you should you'd want to get your own back at some stage. There, there's a code. There's it should be a code amongst managers. You know, in a way, this is like an unspoken code of of, of not of trying yeah. not to criticize. 
Well, come on then, tell or, me or, who. Or, who or, I, or, I think you're not. I think you need to name names of these managers who have done that to you in your yeah, career. Right, okay, no. Well, <laughs> well, it'll not be tonight. Okay, but how, did you keep their letters and then go back to them once? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was more the letters that I was talking about keeping, or the or particular people who wrote letters and then sent uh, and put their phone numbers down alongside. Oh. That that was that was much easier to do that. But no, I didn't. Um, I would have, uh, like, for instance, I'm talking fellow managers would never have written and criticised you. No. They might have said it in on, on, on the interview or something that gets here. And that's when you would maybe, the next time you'd see them, you'd turn around and say to them, listen, wasn't wildly happy with those particular comments. But overall, I can't say that that, was, uh, I, that, that wasn't uh, an everyday occurrence. That would just be, uh, that would be, um, um, you know, um, well, perhaps lesser times than I'm giving you the impression of, you know? Um, so clearly over time you became more resilient. When you first went into management, I was, I was listening to you on, another, on my brother's podcast recently and you said that, you know, it was Peter Taylor who approached you in the mid eighties and said, Oh, um, I, I want you, to, you know, why haven't you gone into management yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and you hadn't quite, thought about that what what was life like between retiring as a player and going into management because a lot of players say that's very difficult in terms of your mental health and your mood like adjusting to life outside uh, your playing career i i totally agree with that absolutely totally agree it's that suddenly you know you've been uh you've been a let's say in my case a professional footballer for um 11 12 13 years whatever it is you're yeah and certain there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com in the latter part of it the latter there's a, a period of time um, where we were uh, at nottingham forest where we we're winning everything in sight uh, winning European Cups, League Championship, um, um, League Cups as well too at Wembley. Every day just seemed to be a, a day out. And um, and then that, that life almost very quickly, almost with a, you know, with a click of one's fingers ends. Mine ended through injury at the time. But, um, uh, but on the day I was carried off the field, I never thought that that would be the last game I'd ever play. But, I mean, uh, so... Uh, the particular injury I picked up, cruciate ligament injury, in those days were uh, were difficult to to heal and 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 clear up. And players did have problems with them for a long, long time afterwards. Anyway, I digress for a second. Getting back to your point, absolutely, it's a case of then thinking, what am I going to do? I had I had been to um, I'd been to university. I was started I'd studied law for a very short period of time. Now at 32 years of age, will I go back to do that? 
No, I've got uh, I've got a family to feed. I have people to look at. I can't do this unless it was a part time course. How long is that going to take me to do a, a, a law degree? Probably in the region of let's say it was a four year course, maybe eight years, nine years to do that. If that's the case, I, I, I can't afford to do that. And suddenly you realise. What am I going to do? All the pontification that I've used to set out, all the advice I used to give other people, I would, I, I never took myself. So it's incredible. And now there's a void in your life, a genuine void, a void that you cannot fill immediately. And um, and it, it is really interesting. And as as you say, you've had maybe a chance with ex ex players who have found this a really difficult time. Absolutely, mm. because. It's not to say that your life is over. You have another 30 or 40 years in this earth with a bit of luck, if that's the case. But what what do you do? And what do you do after the highs that you've had? You know, you will not be in a dressing room again if, if that, as a player. So what will you do? Getting into, and it was only when I met Peter Taylor, I'd never really thought about management at all. And even in the latter stages of my playing time, uh, Billy Bingham, manager of Northern Ireland, did mention it to me and gave me a little thought, but I was still playing at that stage. Then suddenly Peter Taylor, I meet a couple of years after we uh, we had both parted company at uh, at Nottingham Forest, and uh, and he said, "Hey, you disappoint me. I thought you had gone into management, which is probably the biggest backhanded compliment he had paid me, you know." <laughs> so. Um, and he said, "No, I thought you had the I thought you had the the wherewithal to do this, you know." And he said, "You also had the two best teachers, uh, myself and Brian Clough, and that was true. Very, very good teachers in that sense." So almost almost immediately after the conversation with him, I went back home, started to think about it, started to apply for jobs then that that were available that might be available. Not getting too many interviews, let me tell you, but overall at least given me the enthusiasm to think, yeah, listen, if Peter Taylor thinks that you might be able to make a, a half-decent manager, why should I not think that myself? And when you, you know, did you did you know what to expect in terms of the, the mental pressure you'd be under? You, you'd looked at Peter Taylor and Brian Clough in your playing mm -hmm. career, so that must have been, that must have formed a large part of your impression of what being a manager was like. And they're, they're both... Well, particularly one of them, extremely unique character. Yeah. Did they ever show pressure? Did they ever give any indication to you that this was an extremely stressful life? Well, okay, um, yes. In 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 certain instances, they certainly did that. Mostly, they were able to hide it. But the thing about it, Sam, is you can hide an awful lot of things if you're winning football matches. Mm. You're winning games, and we were we were winning. We weren't just winning the normal game. We we're winning big, big matches, big yeah. games as well. Now, I'm not. I'm not thinking like a manager. I'm. I'm. I'm not wildly caring. Uh, caring is probably too strong a word, but I'm not wildly uh, worried about what the manager is thinking about his home life or what he's doing. As long as he's picking me in the team, right. as long as I'm in the in the side, and if I'm doing well for him, that's fine. But there there were occasions when when Peter Taylor and Brian Clough would let their guard down and say how demanding the job the the, the job is. In fact, once uh, Brian Clough said that um, if uh, <clears throat> he once <clears throat> had his down, he, he must have had a tough time. Uh, this particular board meeting the previous night or something like this here, and Brian Clough seldom had a tough night at a board meeting. He was usually holding the board meeting. <laughs> but this particular occasion, he came in, and uh, 
and we were gathered we were gathered around the the dressing room and they, and he he put his hand through his hair as if to say as if he was shaking off some worries and said uh, you lot, he said, if any of you lot ever think about management, he said, the only inevitability about this job is you'll get the sack. And at the minute he was saying that, I would mm-hmm. have to say, Sam, he was probably the most unsackable manager in Europe at the time. So, yeah. so, <clears throat> so of course, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they had really that that they had tough moments. But when you are again. On the on a roll as Nottingham Forest were for a long period for let's say probably three years maybe yeah I then then it's it's difficult for for me <clears throat> to look through a disguise that Brian Clough might be might be having and um, <clears throat> of course you know obviously he was plagued with some some problems later on but it didn't show then at all he was sharp he was right with it he was a brilliant manager and as you mentioned so charismatic so unique. That um, that um, whatever he said to you, you 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 believed it. Um, when I look at your your club career, is there any particular period where you look back on it and think that when you were a manager that that there was particularly high levels of pressure? Yeah. <clears throat> Again, it's it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I've uh, I was um, when I was manager of Wickham Wonders, uh, a person who helped. Helped me in many aspects get the job was actually a director there called Alan Parry. Alan was um, a football commentator, a very yeah. very good one. He was mm. a, a, in a, athletics to begin with, and Alan, Alan and I had a, a, a very decent relationship. But he did say to me way back, Martin, you're so cantankerous. He said that you that you would resign if someone nicked your car parking space, <laughs> and <laughs> and you know what, Sam. <laughs> I honestly, sometimes when I analyse it, I might be right. I'm so good. I could fall out with anybody. Um, Are you still like that? You don't seem like that these days, Martin. Do you know what? You think that I... Yeah, well, uh-huh. I, I have an unfortunate confession to make. Yes, I'm still like that. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a shame, a real shame. But uh, no, uh, yeah, I think the, the point you're try, uh, um, hopefully trying to get through to me is... is um, what sort of what sort of pressures were you under? What sort of mental pressures were you under? Things like this here. Again, getting back to the job, I felt that um, yes, the um, I probably uh, in in terms of in terms of mental pressure, in terms of your own, you definitely feel it a hundred times more as a manager than you did as a player. Mm. As a as a uh, as a player, you're. It's a very selfish outlook. I'm not saying managerial stuff is not, but in certain a player, as I said to you earlier, are you playing? Are you in the team? Is the team doing well? Are you getting paid? Yeah, fine. Yeah. No, I, I must admit during our time that that was that that was well down the list of it getting paid. We're we're doing fine, but mm. we weren't multi billionaires. Let me put it this way. <laughs> so, and even with all the success that we had, but um, I don't feel so bad about it because I I heard. Sir Jeff Hurst speaking there just recently, and they uh, all the English players got a thousand pounds each for winning the World Cup. So honestly, yeah. so please let me put my my little uh, catastrophes yeah. into into perspective. You know, <laughs> so uh, right. So anyway, point I wanted to make was that yeah, as a player, those are the things. As a manager, you're looking after everything. You're looking after your team. You're looking, you're trying to encourage and cajole players into becoming better to try and win competitions, obviously for yourself. 
Then you're trying to look after the players that you're not playing on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. trying to find, you know, trying to keep them on board. Uh, and even when you're winning football matches, you know, the, it's still difficult to keep a lot of players happy, happy that they're not played for three or four weeks, things like this here, worrying about results and the results being very, very important. Then managing upwards as well too, which has become a big, big thing in these days now mm-hmm. to be able to manage upwards, you know, manage your, your chief executive, your footballing director uh, or director of football as they call them these days. Um um, jobs that we would all love, you know, to tell you the truth, because they bring in the players, but the manager gets fired because he hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't got them going well enough. But over <laughs> overall, it's um, so yes, you're dealing with it, and it and it. I used to think that after we had finished training and the players maybe had gone home by half past two, having had lunch or something like this here, and had gone home by half past two of a certain day, you felt as a manager your day's just starting. Wow. You yeah. really did feel that, you know, and you're working all hours. Then you, I, may in the sound, and I felt as if the job, I wanted the job to be all consuming. I wanted every single player that came into the football club that I had not only responsibility for him, but also that I knew that I had a big base say in proceedings that he is coming here and I had the final say of, and for, for, uh, Loads of loads of uh, of years. That's exactly what the way it was. So I used to go out and see these players and wouldn't sign them. So those are those are important. Then when you bring a player into the football club, you want it to work so badly. It's untrue, you know, and uh, and you want every single every single signing to be a bit major success. You start to fret over ones that have not maybe done as well. And uh, but overall. The thing that that thing that 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 the, the the big the big picture is the winning of football games, and if you're lucky enough to win enough to win trophies. So, but it's it's the yes the, the managers the managers mental side is certainly tested to the full. There's going to be no question about that. And did you were you able to turn to other managers? Because I suppose no one can really understand what you're going through. You know, you might have loved ones, you might be wife or or friends, but really it's I suppose only other managers, top level managers could have understood. Did you did you have people you were close to you could talk to? No, I didn't. I never did that. First of all, I felt as if that, uh, you know, if you, I mean, I, I think even without talking to managers, you could pick up the phone to to anyone at the, uh, who's in the same division as you and they find out that, yeah, that they're having exactly the same problems as well. Mm. And it just depends on what position you are in the league at the time. So I know I, di- I didn't, I didn't do that. I, uh, primarily probably because I felt as if they're, they're competitors as well too. So you didn't want to be phoning another manager and finding out, oh, excuse me, you know, I, I can't really get on with the director of football or mm-hmm. by the way, you know, this, uh, the fella I just signed seven weeks ago, I, I is not doing well or whatever the case may be. And he'll come off the phone and think, well, that's good. He's having, a, <laughs> he's having a problem or two, but generally speaking, I, one, I didn't do that. The other one is I didn't I didn't call the managers that I would have great regard for, like for instance Brian Clough, because mm. I know what his answer would have been: short and sweet. Hey son, sort it out yourself. You know, <laughs> that's what I had to do. You know, something like this here. So mm. he's not going to give me a long winded answer to all my problems. So I, I felt I never did that. Uh, and if I and if I was asking any sort of advice that would be really, really casual. It would never be a hardly ever been a phone call to any manager. It might have been it might have been in a meetup or something like this here at uh, 
at some some function or other. So when you were, um, you say that you like to be consumed by the job, hmm. were you able to relax, unwind, switch off uh, while you were managing a football club? But I, I never did it. I didn't do that. No, uh, absolutely. And I have got the greatest regard for those managers who are able to switch off. I know one or two that uh, are, regardless of the result on a Saturday, let's say it was Saturday played, that they, of course they would be very concerned about losing the game. But by about 6, 6 30, 7.30, they could park it to the side and then go out and have a meal with the family. I'm not saying I didn't go out and get games that we've lost, of course, but I, I'm in no company whatsoever. Mm. And no, and until until you're right back in again, either on the Sunday the following day or the Monday, I know it, it's there. So unfortunately, I, I took it home with me. Uh, I I would have said um, uh, much to my much to my regret. I did I did bring it home, um, but I think that uh, family got to a stage where they actually felt that um, if I didn't if I wasn't talking about it, somebody like this here, I'd probably just be morose in a corner. For instance, I when I started off at Wickham Wonders, I was a quite young manager at the time with very very young children. My daughter, who is <clears throat> my daughter Ashley, much, much brighter than me. And she was brighter than me when she was three, never mind anything else. But uh, um, she, she, she could realise without knowing exactly about football, she would have been, what, seven or eight years of age and realising that dad's, dad's like maybe a wee bit long, maybe a bit older, maybe about nine. And uh, realising that uh, dad's Saturday uh, was totally about the winning of the football game. And the Saturday night in some lousy Chinese restaurant in High Wickham would still be great if we could do that, if we could win. Or otherwise, we're still stuck somewhere and uh, and Dad won't be speaking to anybody. And if he does, he won't be in the best of moods. So as I was always going for the games, uh, traveling, just just leaving, she would race out and, and touch the car, open up the window and said, Dad, just win. <laughs> and uh, and that's exactly right. Just win, wow. and uh, that was it. Because the realization that Saturday is all. If we've won, it's a it's it's over. So there you are. So if the nine year old can can perceive that, that's telling you something. So that might give you an it might give you an indication of of the life that we were having at the time. And how do you feel about those memories now? You're talking about those stresses. Do you feel released from them now that you're not in club management? I, I think that I I honestly think yeah, release from them uh, suggests that that that's it over. Would um, would uh, I have? I must admit, some I've I've hidden behind COVID. I've hidden behind a lot of things for some time. I don't have any representation, so I don't have anybody out uh, uh, waving a flag for me. Never have had, but anyway. But um, I would, uh, if someone came up and it's not, uh, you know, that, that I'm sorry, it's that these things do not happen. As my daughters who are much older now have told me that they, they don't, you know, honestly, um, they don't say you may have been a manager quite some time ago, but uh, uh, at least now having written the book, people realize you're not dead. And uh, so, so from that viewpoint, it's it's fine. But if someone come up and felt that uh, that uh, said, "Listen here, this is what I want you to do. I'd like you to uh, take over this particular club for a for a while to try and get us going," I think that that I think that that, that would be of interest. Of course, 
There's no such thing, never has been, as a perfect job. You've got to get in there and take it. But it's not it's not to say that if I was if I was starting out in the game as a young coach or as a young manager now, of course I would uh, anybody who would offer me anything, of course I would take it. But I you know having been in the game for quite some considerable time, I know I'm not uh, I don't for one minute say Sam, you know that the the choices are are manyfold. But uh, really, if if there was something of real serious interest, and I thought that that was it, would I have the? Would I have? This is the main thing. Would I have the inclination? Yes. Would I have the desire? Would I have the enthusiasm? And would I have the energy? And I don't think I would ever lose any of those things. Mm. The energy, of course, you can lose. Enthusiasm for football, n- uh, never. No, well, you don't sound like someone who's lost any energy or enthusiasm. Uh, that's for sure. Martin, I'm really, really grateful of your time. It is brilliant talking to you and getting uh, such amazing insight to the very unique life uh, that is being a football manager in, in, in the top levels like you have been for so long. Uh, your book, which uh, wasn't ghostwritten, you wrote it yourself, didn't you? Which is a, a rare thing um, mm. uh, on days like these. is is fantastic. I've been loving reading it. Have you, Sam? Oh, thank you. Fantastic stories. And uh, thank you ever so much for joining us on The Reset. It's a pleasure, Sam. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. No problem whatsoever. That was the great Martin O'Neill. Let's hope to see him back in the dugout soon. And also you should buy his book on days like these. It's out now and it's well worth the read. If you like this podcast, why not subscribe to The Reset at samdelaney.substack.com. You get this weekly pod, a full two-year archive of mental health chats on all the other pods with all sorts of different men from other football folk like Martin to authors, pop stars, actors, soldiers, former gang members and even the odd normal bloke just like you and I. If you subscribe, you also get regular newsletters on mental health and addiction by me and more besides. Go to sandelaney.substack.com. And one last reminder, don't forget my new book is available from February the 9th. It's called Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without All the Bollocks. And you can order it now on Amazon, Waterstones, Bookshop.org or wherever else you like to get your books. Until next time, gang, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.